0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 49, and Kim Silbor will be our reader this morning. In honor of God's word, if you'll please stand.
1: Listen as I read. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Hope you all had a meaningful Thanksgiving. Um, I know we, we did with our daughter and and grandkids, and it was a, you know, it's a little bit of liveliness in our house, things we're not used to. Um, I know, you know, my, all of my family, most of my family's from Ohio, and so they are Ohio State fans. So I, I, I want to say to you, any of you Ohio State fans, are we're sensitive to you, so there's going to be a grief support group <laughs> and the cry room <laughs> right after the service. Go blue. (laughs) Our God is a God of great transformations, great turnarounds in lives, in families, and in churches. This is what it takes just a repentant heart, a yielded life, confessional lips. Then He works in and through our lives in such profound and powerful ways that will absolutely astound us, then over time, choice by choice, he will raise up a righteous legacy through our lives, which is the only legacy worth leaving behind. Far beyond our families, Because you can spiritually invest in your families a great deal. And they not end up following Christ. That can happen. But God will have a legacy that goes far beyond your families. Because all of us, every one of us, are leaving behind a legacy of some kind. Through our day-by-day priorities and our moment-by-moment choices. A life legacy we're sowing in future generations. The critical question is what kind? Each and every day throughout the day, we are influencing. What's the influence? We influence by the attitudes we hold, or more to the point, we influence by the attitudes we are allowing to control us, to hold on to us. We influence by daily proactive choices we are making to walk with Jesus or not walk with him. By the extent that the relationships around me personally see me pursuing a love relationship with Jesus. I can tell my grandkids all I want about the need for Jesus in their lives. But To what extent do they see me living it? all are watching us far more than we realize we we influence by what we truly love and live for in life it's called priorities i love the best definition of priorities i've ever heard a priority is that which you will sacrifice the most to pursue it comes out in your choices no matter what we say with our lips it's our calendars it's our checkbook it's our conversations that give indication to our priorities. James Smith was right. We become what we love. So whatever we sacrifice to possess will end up possessing us, and that can be a very good thing if it's Jesus Christ. But if it's something else that's our idol, it will possess us to our ruin. This ultimately everything determines our legacy. Legacy is in relationships, not in the things you leave behind, not in the career you leave behind, it's in the relationships you leave behind. And over time, choice by choice, life by life, often in very subtle and silent ways, your own legacy of influence is being etched day by day. Genesis chapter 49 if you have your Bibles, let's go back there as Kim has read this morning. Let's go to Genesis 49. Or on your iPhone or your little iPad, whatever you have, all right? Genesis 49. A man named Jacob was, was a father of no less than 12 sons. And the 11th one was named Joseph, and this, this account... Of Jacob giving a blessing to his 12 sons is right in the context of Joseph's story. Um, Joseph, as you remember, in his late teens, was heartlessly sold by his 10 brothers down the river into Egyptian slavery. It was there by choice, significantly. In fact, Jacob's whole life story is this by choice. This man became a man of deep character because of his Godward focus in the midst of horrible victimization and and cruel confinement. His life story is another prime example of this truth. It is not your life circumstances that will ever determine what your life becomes. It's your response to those circumstances. It's your choices in the midst of those circumstances. For 13 prime years of his life, from age 17 to 30, Joseph was the ongoing victim of unjust, dehumanizing confinement, and yet this man grew better, not bitter, because of a surrendered life to the sovereignty of God. In the end, God honored his life infinitely beyond any of his brother's. And even beyond his own father, Jacob, which was not all that hard because in truth, Jacob was one sad banana dad. Though there were some positive changes in his character in later years, overall, the training of his sons was woefully passive. His failure to address egregious sins, especially in his older sons, which we're looking at today had severe, horrific consequences. It always does. But then to the other extreme with his two younger sons, he becomes a doting, overindulgent parent. And though Jacob was not directly responsible for his son's choices, nevertheless, by his own influence, by his own pattern of angry reactions, and if you see his, if you go through his biography, you see that this guy was a schemer. He was a deceiver, and sometimes he was treacherous in the way he dealt with people. And all of that modeled. That DNA is passed on to his boys in more drastic ways. And so his 12 sons are now gathered around his deathbed, all 12 of them, to hear what God was going to speak to them through Jacob, A direct prophecy for these sons and their future, for these sons and what will be their legacy, based on how they lived their lives. And as he read this, as he expressed this, there had to be some intense heartache because of the hard truth he had to tell a few of his boys concerning their future. My friends, you may want to write down if you have your Bible open. Don't be, you know, I love to write my Bible, so you write on down. Romans 15, 5, next to this passage. Whatever was written in earlier times in biblical narrative like this was written for our instruction. Roughly two-thirds of the scripture is in narrative form. And the reason for that is because God knows how we best learn. We learn through stories. And so what this passage is saying is by negative example and positive example, it was written for your example for your instruction, to you, for you to learn both from the positive and the negative. This will be one of those opportunities this morning to learn from the example of these folk. So in this, and Romans 15, 4 ends by saying that we might have hope, and that is our theme for today, that we might have hope. Hope in what exactly? That there is a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, forgiving, restoring God, working through all these lives in all these stories that culminate in the story of stories of Jesus Christ on his death, burial, and resurrection and on his power to transform any life, no matter our past, no matter our choices, No matter our upbringing, that's our hope. That's what we celebrate. Those who will turn to him in the midst of their sin to receive his forgiveness and then by his power who will live a life that says thank you. He will turn their lives around and he'll turn around their legacy into the best legacy they could possibly have. So no matter how polluted your own personal life presently is, may have been, or how depraved, dysfunctional, and degenerate your own family of origin is, Christ is the one and the only one who can turn graves into gardens and bones into armies and take those ashes Whatever it is in our lives or in the we're trying to live down the paths of our family, he can turn those ashes into beauty. Only Christ can do that. He is our hope. Only a Godward life becomes a truly great life. Own that. Believe that. This world does not have a path to greatness. Christ does. It's the only life, the only path to take to experience the life you desire deep down. God is not here to cheat you. He is here to fulfill you. This is why Jesus Christ came, that you might have life and you might have it abundantly and that you would leave behind an influence that is abundant and is life-giving, not soul-crushing. Jacob's three oldest sons will be addressed in these next seven verses. And what Jacob, again, had to tell them had to be very troubling to his own heart. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you when may befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and prominent in power. Uncontrollable as water. You shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. Reuben committed open immorality with one of Jacob's concubines, Billa, which was certainly dishonoring and defiling in itself, but folks, even greater, if you consider this, Jacob is revealing this sin for the first time 40 years later. The greater sin was this man's sin of covering it up, the pride, the pride, the deception. To Roman's own detriment and to the detriment of it and the future of his family. You know, when we go through these again, go through these accounts, let me give you a few lessons with each one. First of all, on this, sin prospers in the environment of pretense. The enemy never wants you to confess. The enemy wants to put in our minds all the fears that we can ever possibly have if we confessed. Sin prospers in an environment of pretense. Until sin is confessed out of us, it's guaranteed to pollute within us. It will pollute your thinking it will pollute your attitudes and it will twist and distort your spirit it poisons as it possesses it poisons as it possesses the longer the sin stays unconfessed listen to the truth of god's word proverbs 8:28:13 he who covers his sin Listen to the next. He who covers his sin will not prosper. Will not prosper. Meaning this. You will not prosper in the way you thought you would and hoped you would by covering up your sin. Guaranteed. But he who confesses it and forsakes it will find compassion two ways. With God always and with man. When we confess what we did wrong, People do not think less of us, they think more of us. Now we look genuine. With Reuben 40 long years, until finally his dad tells him, the last words he hears from his dad, "I know what you did." That had to hit him hard. He names the sin because Reuben wouldn't. And then Reuben was told how it would affect his legacy forever. You will no longer be first. You see, with Reuben, the oldest in Jewish culture got double the inheritance of any other son. He lost that inheritance. Likewise, over time, his name and his tribe became insignificant in in Israel. Confession is normally defined as coming clean. I like that definition. It's a good one. It's biblically. Because as we come clean to God about our sin, as well as to those we've wronged, then we'll be fully cleansed of that sin. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. And we feel that cleansing. So I'm just going to ask, you know, and I do not know any personal situations. I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody, believe me. How is this truth hitting you personally this morning? This one truth, the need for confession. Is there a prompt in your spirit from the Holy Spirit of some particular sin you're holding that you know needs to be openly confessed? Not just to God, but to those as affected. That you have been holding secret, just like Reuben but it won't be found out. But in truth, that sin is holding you. It's holding you in guilt. It's holding you in bondage. A bondage that is encased with deception. And it's holding you back spiritually. What would it look like for you to come clean with Jesus And then making it right with others, I will tell you what it looks like. It looks like the hardest thing you will ever do, or one of them. Because the enemy makes certain (laughs) he's going to pressure you not to do it, and you're going to feel that pressure. And all the what-ifs are going to be attached. Boy, if I do that then, or this. It is a faith choice. God will give you the power to do it. But once you do it, it'll also be one of the most freeing things you'll ever experience. Sadly, Reuben didn't experience this. The two brothers in the birth order right after him are Simeon and Levi, and they are dealt with together because they were in on something together. And let's read these these verses for for them. Verse 5 through 7, and Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their sword are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel." This phrase, in their anger they slew men, references the act of vengeance they took out on the men of Shechem. In Genesis 34, here's what took place. During one of the sojourns, Jacob and his family temporarily settled in the, in the town of Shechem and occupied by the Hivites. The king of that city was Hamar and his son, also named Shechem, who apparently was used to getting most anything he wanted from daddy. One day, Jacob's daughter, Diana, the sister of Levi and Simeon, went to visit some of the young women in the town, and the king laid his lustful eyes on her, and then he arranged to get her alone to force himself sexually upon her. When Simeon and Levi, the four brothers, heard of this, they were furious, likely so. We would be too if such a thing happened within our own family members. We would be outraged. However, here's what these two brothers did that went so wrong. Instead of seeking appropriate justice, they sought personal vengeance. They sought to get even their way. And this is how they went about to do it. And in doing so, you know, like there's a path that vengeance follows. You'll be able to recognize it, I'm sure. First, they buried their anger. They hid their hatred. A vengeful spirit is always fueled by buried anger and internalized resentment. Resentment is this venom that seeks personal vengeance rather than lawful justice. Notice this is all driven by the thought life. If we do not deal with our thought life then and there and confess that, it progresses to the next step. And that's plotting. What can I do to pay these people? Here's what happened. Things, boy, this is what I can do to get even. Requested that. Here's what happened. Genesis 34 records that when the king requested that Diana be given in marriage to his son, and that they intermarry and live as one, Simeon and Levi feigned interest. They pretended. They hid their anger in order to plot their revenge. And then they spoke with deception. That sounds great, guys. We just have one teensy problem. You see, we can't marry our sister off to you because all your young men must first become, your men must first become like us, and that is circumcised. All your males. Then we can intermarry among you, and we could be one with you and live with you as one people. Again, folks... They had no intention. It was all a ruse. It was all deception. But here's what they knew. They knew by the third day after being circumcised, you're in some deep, serious state of hurt. With such crippling pain, they would be rendered totally helpless to defend their city. And sure enough, the king agrees son agrees. They convinced all their males. Let's get circumcised. The act is carried out on the third day. Simeon and Levi showed up, swords in hand, and slew every male in the city. They plundered the city. They took the children and the wives, and they were gone. In punitive retaliation of one man, they slew an entire city. Now understand, these brothers were right in wanting justice to be carried out for the egregious wrong committed against their sister. But God tells us that justice is always his job. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. To the extent, in the end, when we take justice in our own hands, vengeance against someone else, what we're doing is we're standing in God's place and we're not going to inherit His judgment on them, but His judgment on us. We're not getting justice. We're getting the punishment. And God, through Jacob, gave His verdict. Cursed be your anger your vengeance it is cruel what a legacy to leave behind and that's what the legacy of vengeance will do again these guys their stories are not just stories for us not our heads to because we want to put our lives here we want to put ourselves next to this we want to ask ourselves these hard questions the spirit of god would want us to do it so here we go loop-de-loop how have you been doing toward those who have hurt you Failed you or hurt somebody you love. Rarely do we actually plot to kill them. But what about in our mind? Mentally, at what level have we been assassinating their character? The scripture calls this malice. Ephesians 4.32, when we speak evil about others in our minds. And it's the toughest part, isn't it? Because the more we do this, it does cost us in subtle and severe ways. The greater we do this, the more the lack of inner peace, the more the inner stress, and it is an absolute joy sucker. It will lead to physical problems, to relational struggles, and to an eventual harvest, we do not want to reap in our own lives. Have you ever heard anyone say, Man, this revenge thing, it's, it's great. I love what it's done to me. I mean, where has this been all my life? This is so pristine. I had no idea what I was missing. No one says that. It is soul crushing and it's spirit quenching because the more we give vent to vengeance, the venom consumes us. It's like a slow, emotional, relational suicide. Like this author honestly remembered, admitted of, this, of the seven deadly sins, vengeance. And resentment, that is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances, to savor the last tooth morsel, both of the pain you were given and the pain you are now given back. In many ways, it feels like a gift for a king. But the truth is, what you are actually wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. When God says, "Vengeance is mine, I will repay." You know what he's saying? I don't want you to hear this. I mean, this, is, this has been a freeing truth to me. You know what he's saying? I see you. I see you. I see the unfairness done to you. I saw that wound. I see that hurt. I see what they're saying about you behind your back. I see it. I'll repay. I'll repay. In my perfect time, I saw it all. I will repay appropriately. Exactly the perfect way and the perfect time. I will carry out my justice and I will redeem your name. You do what's right by me. I do what's right by you. You dwell in the land and stay faithful doing what you want to do. Don't let what they say about you detract you. I see you. And I see the end of this. Well, the results of this these guys, your descendants will be dispersed and scattered were they ever. This, the tribe of Simeon, was left with virtually no inheritance. In fact, they became so insignificant, they were just kind of in, assimilated within the tribe of Judah. However, a different kind of division and disbursement awaited the tribe of Levi. They were scattered throughout the land as priests of Israel. They had no physical land inheritance, and yet they became a blessing to the people of the land of God as God's chosen priest. priest. In other words, and I love this, because this is our God. He turned the curse into a blessing. And likely this is one of the reasons why. Over 400 years after this prophecy, the nation of Israel is in the wilderness. Exodus 32 records that when Moses went up to Sinai, to the mount of God, the people became tired of waiting for him. And they eventually said, Moses has ghosted us. I think they used that word back then. So let's make a God who will deliver us. So everyone brought their gold earrings and melted them down and molded into a golden calf. And then they worshiped that idolatrous idol. In truth, they partied. They prostituted themselves in front of this idol. And when Moses comes back, he quickly and publicly addresses their sins. And in the process, he asks this question, all right, who is on the Lord's side? Who will stand with me? And the people who primarily came were the Levites and stood with him. And, he, and they with sword. He went through and they slew 30,000. They stood for righteousness. And God honored their commitment that day. And perhaps that was the main reason that this tribe was not scattered like Simeon into insignificance, but for righteousness influence we all have generational dysfunctions and degenerations in our family tree i think if i told you what the damiani family was like no one would let me preach in this church (laughs) it is pretty sorry but it doesn't matter A righteous generation can start with you. It just takes one. To say enough, no more excuses. These sin issues, these sinful responses, my family, by God's grace and through his power, is going to stop with me. It just takes one will you be that one is your family given to vengeful payback behavior bitter punitive punishing spirit boy again both of my family trees are loaded with this rotten fruit To what extent have you prayed like I have prayed? (laughs) Lord, please break this sin bent in me. It's strong in me. It's an ongoing prayer. In your family of origin, parents, grandparents at all, what was the level of immorality, of infidelity, of divorce, pornography, even of incest? To what extent have you purposely prayed? Lord God, it ends with me. You sow in and through my life the exact opposite seed. What about spiritual pride? The kind that manifests itself in pious judgments and elder brother attitudes and spiritual elitism. I have been so impacted by prodigal God, chapter four. That's in our churches. It's rife within our churches. The I'm better than attitudes, the spiritual smugness, the pretense, the fake it until you make it, image keeping. That is vomitous to God. With little or no ever genuine confession that you're wrong. Because you can't be wrong. If you put yourself as spiritual, I can't admit I'm not. Which is... You're basically saying that 1 John wasn't even written and you shouldn't read it and believe it because it talks about us all being sinners still, needing confession, needing to be honest, needing to own up. To what extent do you see these elder brother attitudes in you? Comparing. I'm better than. Your prayer. Lord, I repent of this bent. Break me of it. Sow in me humility and grace my attitude toward others. It just takes one who does this to raise up a righteous legacy through your life, to say it is enough. For the sake of your own life, your own spirit, your own family, for the sake of the spiritual legacy, God desires to birth through your life. This stops with me. I am a committed disciple maker. I am convinced that this is what Christians were on this earth to do. I take the Great Commission seriously. When I started disciple-making, when I was 30 years old, it transformed my life. I knew all the right answers. I was probably a pretty good elder brother, and it broke me. I realized all I didn't know. It changed me. It's still changing me. I want a righteous legacy through my life. I realize that may or may not. At some extent, it's going to come through my family, but to a greater extent, it's going to come to the people I invest my life into. I'm serious about this. I'm 74 years old. Well, you're used to having pastors up your cry, right? If I'm in a nursing home and I'm 94, and you have to wipe the, the drool off of me, I still want to be discipling. I want to do that till I die. Because that's what I'm called to do. My heart is to leave behind a righteous legacy, and I know it starts with me. It starts with my own attitudes day by day. It starts with my own time in the word. It starts with my own willingness to change, and I pass my life on. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. For the future legacy, God desires a birth through all of us. It just takes one in a marriage. God's Holy Spirit giving you the ability to not return insult for insult. Let the sin stop with you. It's a choice by choice power of God's spirit to sow righteous seed in and through your life. Then this righteous legacy will be birthed by God's spirit through your life. It is, yes, it is slow. It is always slow. It is subtle. It is always subtle. And it is certain choice by choice. I love it because, folks, it does not matter what our own life story has been or presently is. It only matters this, that there is a Redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son, there is a Redeemer. There is hope in Him who through the cross authored the greater story the greatest story, the story of redemption. He did not just pave the way for you to live a better life. He paid the way. (laughs) He paid the way with his very life for you to experience life in him and then empowered us by his spirit to leave behind a righteous legacy. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So, as we come to communion today, I just want to share again as, the, as we pray that the service come forward. What we're, comm- we're doing today is commemorating and celebrating what Christ already did for us. If you do not know Jesus, if you do not know Him, don't take communion. Come to Christ, come to faith in the Savior. We're going to have prayers up here that you can pray. To receive him right where you're at. This is what we encourage you to do. May Jesus Christ be praised this morning in his name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for everything you have done in our lives, through our lives, and for our lives. For the finished work. For the hope. Not just the hope it'll turn out, but the absolute assurance we have in your complete work on that cross. That it is finished. It is finalized. Thank you, God, that you're a God of turnarounds. You're a God of redemption. You're a God that does take the ashes and turn it into beauty. Thank you for the beauty you've made out of so many of our lives and the process of completing the work you've done in us. We celebrate you. We thank you for your coming and for your giving your life for us. In your wonderful name we pray, amen.